Both the human and economic cost of the coronavirus is clear, but it has also shed light on the socio-economic difficulties within our society. It has led to an upcry for a more democratic economy. In his recent book, Nordic Socialism, Pelle Dragstedt, a former MP of the Danish Red-Green Alliance, insists on rethinking the whole idea of the redistribution of wealth. Can the coronavirus actually provide an opportunity to rethink our economy and maybe even the whole idea of ownership? This podcast is a segment of the online debate with Pelle Dragstedt, organized by the Danish DEO and the Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung. For the full event, follow the link in the description to the DEO YouTube channel. Enjoy! Thank you so much and uh, hello everyone and thank you for, for taking your time and thanks to Dio and uh, Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung for, for making this event uh, possible. I think it's it's really important that the, the, the left and radical left from, the, uh, from Europe and internationally engage much more in common debates, uh, cross-border debates, not least in these uh, inspiring and interesting time where socialist ideas and in some ways are gaining some uh, some momentum. So I'm very pleased to be here and I'm looking forward to, to debate with you. So in the next 20, 30 minutes, I will give you a brief and of course very superficial introduction to my newly published book, Nordic Socialism. And uh, I will discuss uh, how some of the ideas in, in the book can help us to, to understand and, and engage in what you could call uh, maybe the, the political economy of, of COVID-19. So, before I start, I would um, ask you to forgive my, my poor uh, English skills. Uh, we'll have to be prepared for some uh, elements of Danglish. But, um, well, if you like me, listen to guys like Piketty and Sisek, you would be uh, used to two funny accents. So, I think we'll leave with that. Well... <clears throat> I don't think that the more diagnostical part of my book will be of any surprise to the participants in this event. Uh, I expect that uh, you're mostly left-wing socialist uh, people. Of course, we, we don't know, but, uh, uh, well, fundamentally, I describe capitalistic economy as um, unjust, uh, um, unequal, as uh, undemocratic, and as unsustainable. And these uh, characteristics are not some kind of unintended or unlucky side effects of, of, the, of the economy. It's, it's, it's in, inherent in, in, in the very uh, system. Uh, in the concentration uh, of ownership and the commodification of, of production and, uh, and exchange. Um, well, the concentration of ownership to our means of production, or corporation, finance, infrastructure, um, intellectual property uh, makes it possible for this, as you know, for this tiny elite to, um, of capital owners to acquire an unproportional uh, part of the wealth created during the, the production process, um, thereby driving uh, constantly inequality upwards. Um, and that's bad enough because, as we know, uh, unequal societies are harmful to, to, to people and to, to our societies. But maybe even worse, the, the economic equality creates and increases uh, inequality in political power and influence. The most obvious, of course, being this kind of direct support for parties and think tanks and media 
that defend and promote uh, elite interests. Uh, America is a very bad example of, of this kind of power of, 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 uh, of money. But actually, I think the most potent power of, of, of um, uh, stems from the from the uh, from the very ownership of the apparatus of production and the ability to threaten governments and working classes to submission uh, out of fear from losing uh, investment and jobs you know the drill um, every time that a government uh, left-wing government uh, is elected we saw it with Podemos in Spain uh, the stock exchange uh, go down the international credit uh, rating bureaus uh, uh, in some kind punishing the governments who in any way threaten elite interests. In my book, I call this kind of power uh, oligarchic power as, a, as opposite of the democratic power that should govern our societies. And uh, I think that the growth uh, during the neoliberal uh, era of this oligarchic power uh, at the expense of democratic power uh, is it does in some ways explain this crisis of democracy of Phenomena like Trump and Boris Johnson, maybe even Auburn. Um, and I think that this oligarchic power is also one of the reasons for the unsustainability of the capitalist economy, because so many of the decisions that we take, for example, not least the direction of the investments, are taken by an unelected elite uh, that externalize uh, environmental and climatic destruction. Well, of course, uh, as some social democrat would say, uh, some of these uh, negative consequences of capitalism can be uh, mediated uh, by different kind of regulations. Uh, for example, we can reduce uh, inequality uh, by post-factum distribution uh, via taxation. Uh, but that kind of regulation, or, or we can use carbon taxes, for example, to incentivize a capitalist to, to act in a, a less harmful way. But the problem is that this kind of regulation and redistribution is getting harder to do. Uh, it's getting harder due to the growing oligarchic power. We have seen how the fossil uh, industry lobby it, through decades succeeded in, 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 um, uh, in, in making it, it impossible for, for the states or for the European Union to, to create a, a quota system that really works, for example. And, and in the same way, we see taxes, corporate taxes going down. There are some positive elements right now, but during decades, we have seen the same kind of uh, development. So uh, therefore, my main conclusion in, uh, in the book, uh, one of the main conclusions is that we have to go to, to the root of the problem, which is this uh, very concentration of ownership of the means of production of corporations and banks and productive enterprise. And that only by distributing and democratizing ownership, uh, we will be able to, to, to bypass and diminish the oligarchic power to uh, reinvigorate uh, democracy and thereby giving the majority, the working class, if you like, uh, the power to solve the, the, the problems that we are facing at our time, uh, being from climate change to, to the housing crisis, to job insecurity. Yeah, I could continue in that way. So, okay, that's... That's a diagnosis, and I think none of that should be of any surprise uh, to, to a socialist uh, audience. Um, what is maybe a bit more controversial in my book is that I argue uh, that in some way socialism is already here, 
or at least important elements and experiences uh, of socialism and democratic ownerships uh, are already here. Uh, this uh, may be a bit pr provocative statement is the reason for the book's uh, title, Nordic uh, Socialism, uh, which is a term that I stole uh, directly from uh, a uh, report and an analysis by Donald Trump's White House administration uh, called um, The Opportunity Cost of Socialism. It was a report warning the Americans not to vote for Bernie Sanders and AOC and other American socialists. Uh, and they, uh, as we know, has pointed to the Nordic countries and as some kind of inspiration for their democratic socialism. Uh, there was also, maybe some of you will be familiar with this uh, Fox News anchor, uh, Trish Regan. Uh, who, she got very famous, at least in Denmark, uh, by making a, a really uh, crazy statement about Denmark uh, being, uh, uh, yeah, she was... Uh, talking about this giant state, high taxes, free education. And she ended uh, her, her statement saying, that's the reality of, of socialism. Well, my claim in the book is that, that Trump and Sanders and maybe Trish Regan uh, are more right than we so far have acknowledged when they regard the, so, uh, the Nordics as somewhat uh, socialist. And, and that our inability to acknowledge this uh, is, uh, have been and is an important barrier for us to, to imagine and to argue for socialist transformation. Of course, um, the Nordic countries aren't socialist economies, uh, not at all, so far from. But I think to regard our economy as purely capitalist uh, is, in my opinion, also uh, misleading and, and maybe a, a, a quite a lazy analysis of, of, of our economies. And capitalism, as I stated earlier, is, well, is defined by a system where a class of capitalists own the means of production, exploit wage labor, and exchange the products on, uh, on, a, on a market. And if we take this definition uh, seriously, a substantial part of, uh, of our economy uh, cannot be regarded as capitalist. In, in Denmark, the public sector constitutes around 20-25% uh, of, of GDP. Around one-third of the working population is employed in this, in this sector. Uh, and in the public sector, as you know, the means of production from hospitals to kindergartens, harbors, libraries, universities are not owned by capitalists, but by all of us. And the services that we produce are not sold on a market, but distributed freely and, uh, and financed by a progressive tax system. In other words, uh, according more or less to the socialist notion of from each according to his ability to each according to, to his needs. If we look to other Nordic countries like Norway, Sweden and, and Finland, we also have state ownership of important corporations, financial institutions and, and finance, financial assets on a, on a major scale. Uh, but it, it isn't just in our, in our public sector that we find uh, common and democratic ownership. We have a long tradition also for cooperative ownership in the private sector as, as well. Um, our main uh, chain of uh, supermarkets or convenience stores, uh, Coop, uh, is owned by 1.8 million uh, member owners that uh, elects the leadership. There's no capital owners that make gains from the enterprise. If we look to our critical infrastructure, Uh, the Lions part is cooperatively owned from, from water to, to heating to electricity, electricity. So no profit to capitalism and also democratic governance in, in this sector. 
in our housing sector in Denmark, around 20% of the units are owned cooperatively. Uh, the rent is not set by the market and no one profits from these um, houses. And uh, the cooperative housing sector is governed uh, democratically by a leadership elected by, by the tenant, uh, tenant members. Uh, even in the financial sector, we do have a substantial cooperatively owned sector, mutual banks and insurance, uh, pension funds governed by workers and uh, etc. Um, yeah, in Finland, we read today uh, in, in Denmark that um, the biggest bank is cooperatively owned. And that's uh, the reason for the Danish uh, banks operating in Finland not to uh, put ne negative yields on, on, on um, uh, yeah, on, on accounts of normal people because uh, they are, have competition for this kind of, of democratic or governed uh, consumer-owned banking sector. And I could continue. In fact, you could go through a day in, in Copenhagen and, and, and uh, almost only be in contact with uh, um, cooperatively owned, democratically governed parts uh, of the economy. So, uh, in other words, uh, capitalism or capitalist economy is, is without no doubt dominant in our economies, without no doubt. But it is not alone and it is not unchallenged. And I think... This way of understanding our economy uh, challenges in some way the usual way that we as socialists have described and understood capitalism as a totality uh, covering the, the whole of the society and, and economy. We're always talking about living in a capitalist society, having a capitalist economy. And then socialism also seen as, as a new totality that will emerge only when capitalism uh, uh, is, is overcome. So a central idea in, in my book is to leave uh, this idea of, of this binary uh, between socialism and capitalism behind and instead understand our economies as some kind of hybrids where capitalism right now is dominant, but socialist and democratic modes of production is also, is also present. Um, and I show in my book how the capitalist and the democratic sector of the economy historically have competed uh, from the late uh, 19th uh, century. The, the cooperative sector colonized a substantial part of the economy. And after World War II and the decades following in the social democratic era, the public sector overtook and, and de decommodified new uh, important economic terrain. But in the, in the neoliberal uh, age, and during the last three or four decades, we have uh, seen the, the opposite uh, development, that capitalist recolonization uh, of the economy uh, through privatization, market reforms, and, and demutualization of, of cooperative enterprises in Denmark, especially in the finance uh, sector. Okay. So why is this way of understanding uh, capitalism and socialism, in my uh, opinion, important? Uh, firstly, it converts uh, socialism from, from, from a pure utopia in, in a distant future to something that is present and, and well-known and, and loved by, by many people. If we talk about, uh, for example, our welfare services. And, you know, uh, I, I'm sure if you have engaged in debates with right-wing pundits, you have been asked the question, uh, where have socialism ever functioned? 
And uh, our answer to, to that should should be well right here. Uh, we have uh, um, we can point to to our own experiences. Every day we're witnessing that uh, democratic uh, governed uh, enterprises um, are functioning without a tiny elite ownership hunting profits, and they're doing great. Um, well, in other words, socialism is not something that we have to create from, from scratch, and not something that we'll have to wait for until the total overthrow of, of, of capitalism. Uh, we, we already do have important uh, building blocks uh, to build from and to expand from. And the task, as I define it in the book now, is to turn the tide of the, the, the new liberal age and start developing, uh, expanding, and deepening the democratic and socialist part uh, of, of the economy. And of course, and we could go further into detail about this, I, I'm not saying at all that this democratic sector is unproblematic. We have a lot of problems in the, in the public sector. People do not feel, uh, you know, engaged or uh, uh, they, all this kind of marketization where it may be publicly owned, but it's governed like private companies. Also in the cooperative sector, we have a lot of problems. But my, my argument in the book is that even... Besides these different problems, this sector is qualitatively different. And that's also my own experience from being in, in some of these, uh, these companies, that the logics of, uh, uh, of, of, of how they act and how they take decisions are quite different from, from capitalist uh, corporations. Well, uh, in the later part of my book, on the ground of, of this understanding, I suggest a series of, 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 of concrete reforms that could expand uh, different types of common and democratic uh, ownership. Uh, goes from worker co-ops to cooperative and public uh, banking, uh, different kinds of what I call fund socialism, uh, inspired by what we in Denmark called uh, in Sweden, it was called Lundtorger Fund, as a worker ownership fund. Um, I, I discuss different types of common ownership of financial assets and also new forms of, of democratic public ownership inspired by experiences throughout Europe. Uh, I also suggest uh, reforms that would uh, decommodify new sectors of the economy by, as we did in the decades after World War II, taking uh, commodified areas out of the market and transforming, transforming them into to social rights for the citizens. It could be public transport, uh, internet access, uh, medicine, uh, etc. And uh, finally, I propose uh, to significantly expand democratic planning in the economy. Uh, not the Soviet kind of, of planning that tried to plan the an entirety of, of production from, from above, but a planning of the direction and the frameworks of the economy. Uh, I take uh, some inspiration from uh, Kate Rayworth's idea of a donut economy. You know, that uh, there are some between the boundaries of um, fulfilling the needs of people on one side and not uh, crossing the borders of, of, of our resources on the other side, there's a kind of, you know, the donut space in the economy. And our democratic planning should uh, make the economy work inside this donut. So uh, and, and, an example from, from, from our Danish new experiences, the climate law that we passed one and a half years ago, it sets a, a, um, 
a clear goal for to, to reduce uh, emissions by 70% in, uh, in 2030. And uh, it in some way um, uh, decides that every government that is elected will have to fulfill this, uh, this plan. Of course, right now we are fighting to get it fulfilled, but the idea that we take common democratic decisions on the directions of the economy and then, well, if we can use a market mechanism to achieve some of the goals, fine with me. I have no problem. But when the market mechanism cannot uh, or are uh, working in opposite of what we want, of course, we have to, to make it, uh, the more direct regulation or di- direct, like, as an example, uh, putting an end to the sale of, of fossil uh, uh, cars and, 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 and vehicles. Um, by expanding and deepening different forms of, corner, uh, of common ownership and democratic uh, governance, uh, we can fight this uh, inherent uh, problems of, of the capitalist economy, uh, like inequality. But we also do fight the oligarchic power that follows from this inequality. So carrying through the reforms I s- suggest would significantly change power relation in our economy, strengthening a democratic power uh, at the expense of oligarchic power uh, of the capitalist elite. So it would empower workers, democratizing the workplace, but also empower citizens and the democracy as such uh, to and, and give yeah the, the democracy the reins uh, of the economy as a whole. So that is a very, very brief presentation of what I'm trying to, to say in, in my book. And I really know that it's superficial. And of course, you have a lot of questions. I, and I promise you that in, in the book, it is a much more uh, discussed and debated and not uh, this kind of, um, yeah, a, a bit a, a slogans or, or superficial, superficial statements. But okay, I have promised also to talk a bit about the, the, the COVID-19 because that's the, 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 the issue of, of these, uh, these debates. So, um, so how, can we, we, how can this view of capitalism and democratic transformation of the economy help us to understand what I call the political economy of, of, of COVID-19 and how to, to, to go forward as a left wing in, in, this, actual, uh, in this actuality that we, we're in right now? Well, uh, first of all, I think the, the crisis have shown um, once again that uh, what I call more socialist economies are doing far better than more capitalist economies. Uh, the pandemic have been a kind of uh, comparative uh, study, you could call it, uh, on a world scale. We have faced the same pandemic, but the consequences have been varying a lot among countries. And, uh, and, it, and the picture is quite clear. Countries with, uh, countries with a decommodified public-owned healthcare system, for example, and with essential workers' rights, such as paid uh, sick leave, have had far less uh, deaths than more capitalist economy or more market-dominated economies. Uh, it goes beyond saying that a pandemic is harder to fight when people do not have access to healthcare or when they have to go to work sick to pay their rent. Well, secondly... We have seen, uh, for example, in Sweden, how the privatization and commodification of public uh, sector services like, like elderly care have had quite severe uh, consequences for the spread of the pandemic among, among elders. Thirdly, uh, we're also witnessing right now how the 
capitalist ownership of big pharma uh, and of intellectual property right to vaccine treatment constitutes a major barrier for making vaccines uh, available to all. A fact even more absurd because of the development of these vaccines in great extent have been publicly funded. Finally, uh, we have seen how state uh, intervention in the economy have been key in getting the economies, but also private businesses, more or less uh, safe through the pandemic. In Denmark, uh, as elsewhere, uh, private uh, corporations have been receiving billions in state support to survive this crisis. As we saw uh, during the financial crisis, once again, we are collectivizing the losses of private companies during the crisis. Uh, and you can see all these facts are new, in my opinion, are new strong arguments in favor of uh, more democratization of ownership and more decommodification of essential uh, services. Uh, and the left, of course, should use this experience, the, the experience that, that people have right now, to, to put forward agendas of, of, of democratic ownership and decommodification. And I'll just give some few examples of what could be some of the proposals to, to bring forward. And that would be my, the, the last part of my presentation. Well, the, the comprehensive state support for, for businesses and banks uh, during the pandemic is a strong uh, argument for, for the state uh, taking ownership stakes in the companies that receive the state support. Instead of just sending taxpayers money to big corporations, the financial assistance should take form of investment with the right to get a part of the capital dividends after the crisis have, have ended. Actually, that have happened in several European countries. In Denmark, we also succeeded in making the government create a fund to, to do this kind of state intervention uh, investment. Uh, until now, the fund hasn't used any of its money, but uh, the idea was there. But the, it's very important that, that the ownership stakes should be used actively to influence the, the businesses and, and its activities. It should not be this kind of a passive ownership, but a very active ownership. Uh, one example is a French uh, initiative where the state supported the airline industry, but under the condition that they cancel their domestic airlines between cities where a decent train uh, alternative uh, exists. Uh, that's one example of, of putting this kind of conditions for support, but they should and could be expanded. Uh, demands of unionization or curbing bonuses and indecent salaries for CEOs uh, could be just some ideas of condition uh, for getting this kind of state uh, financial uh, assistance or, or investment stakes. Uh, secondly, we should also use the experience to demand a serious expansion of, of welfare services and social security in order to make our societies uh, more robust uh, to new crisis and pandemic. Uh, we know this is not the last one we will face. And these should include rolling back a lot of the so-called uh, labor market reforms that during the last uh, decades have uh, decimated the protection for, for, for working people. And this expansion of, of, of welfare and social, social uh, security should be paid by, for example, windfall taxes and corporations and individuals that have profited from, from the crisis. Um, the enormous gains on financial assets and real estate uh, that we have seen during the last year is, is not a, a result of any kind of creative initiative or actions 
uh, or even risk taking by capitalists. It's, it's, it's just a, a direct result of central bank uh, monetary policies that have driven up asset prices uh, through, for example, this quantitative easing. So taxing these gains would be just logical. When, uh, when the state support to businesses in the coming months is phased out during the months to come, uh, many small and medium businesses will be threatened by bankruptcy because of the lack of liquidity, etc. Some of them uh, was, uh, you know, always uh, talk about zombie uh, companies or zombie corporations who are the economies even before the crisis was bad, but then through financial assistance from the state, they have survived. And we should create incentives for these businesses to give ownership stakes to their employees or to convert their businesses into worker co-ops. Um, after the financial crisis, this kind of initiatives in, for example, France and Italy led to the creation of hundreds of new uh, worker co-ops. And uh, uh, we should take this insp in, uh, inspiration to, to, to the Nordics and, and Northern Europe. Finally, uh, a central task for the left is to raise the demand, of course, of socializing vaccine development and production. That's the most obvious point. The existed, uh, existing model is, is a kind of a double taxation of the citizens. First, we pay to develop the vaccines uh, through public research and public funding. And afterwards, we pay again to secure a big pharma this enormous uh, profit. That's just crazy. Uh, so we should make sure that uh, intellectual property rights to publicly financed inventions, for example, vaccines, but not only vaccines, uh, are maintained and held by public institutions. That would also make it possible for us to share the vaccines uh, with the Global South instead of this uh, terrible vaccine apartheid that we are uh, experiencing right now. And we should also build Oh, and then in the Danish case, rebuild state-owned production facilities for, for vaccines and, 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 and medicine. Well, all this kind of what I call socialist reforms or democratic reforms uh, would not only make our societies uh, stronger and more resilient in times of, of crisis and, and pandemic, uh, they would also strengthen the democratic uh, power at the expense of, of oligarchic uh, power that govern our economies today. And that's uh, exactly what Nordic socialism is is all about. So that would be my my introduction. Thank you so much for for listening. This is the first event in a series of eight online debate meetings addressing the arising economic crisis relating to the ongoing Corona pandemic. In cooperation with Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung and the left parties in Germany, Sweden and Denmark, DEO seeks to map out strategies, opportunities and dilemmas for the left. This project is sponsored by the Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung, a German political foundation closely linked to Die Linke, the German left party. This podcast was produced by Hakuna Matata Production and was sponsored by Setkin Foundation.